I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm S.E. Fleenor. And I'm Sarah Century. And today we have a very special guest, Anthony Oliveira. Thank you so much for being here today, Anthony. Ah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. What else would I be doing in the midst of this horrific <laughs> quarantine? <laughs> yeah. Um, so go ahead and introduce yourself. Let us know where we can find you on social media and everything. Oh, um, well, I usually say that I am... Uh, uh, culture critic, uh, dumpster raccoon, PhD. Uh, you can find me on Mia Koopa on most platforms, which is a terrible Super Mario and Latin pun. M E A K O O P A, and I write. Uh, That's too funny. <laughs> I write books. I write <laughs> graphic novels. I do some Marvel comic stuff right now. Um, lots of things. I program a movie series. Busy, busy. I, I I need attention very badly. So <laughs> you were doing uh, live screenings of cats. <laughs> yes, I was. I programmed. Um, I do a series called the Dumpster Raccoon series, where I sort of find garbage from pop culture and put it on a screen to see if there's a way to save it. And I remember sitting in the movie theater watching cats with me, my friend, and two other people. And as I was watching these weird horny cats dance, I was like, <laughs> the problem. <laughs> 
the problem is not the film. The problem is the audience. So we had to bring the audience to it. And we had um, Jellicle Balls, which were like open stage screenings of cats where people would do magic tricks or they would do burlesque <laughs> numbers or uh, one person painted live. We had um, some strippers. It was amazing. We had live singing. It was amazing. Um, but yeah. Doing I, God's work. <laughs> I'm doing some God's work. I'm not sure which God it is. <laughs> you know, there's so many to choose from. Yeah, yeah. Don't I, worry about it. Someone will, yeah. Loki could be into it. Maybe Hercules. You don't know. You it don't does know. feel like, it does feel like a Loki, a Loki kind of energy. I think he'd be into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of feel like Loki is like the patron saint of like chaos. Yeah. Like I, I've always, um, I always really liked The Mask, the movie The Mask when I was a kid. Did you guys ever? I <laughs> yeah. mean, I'm already betraying. Oh my God, I loved The Mask. Totally. I was <laughs> like, it, I think my humor is purely based on the film The Mask. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah Good and bad. Perfect. Good and bad. <laughs> the way it toggles between how like Loki is sometimes a trickster and sometimes he's just like this apocalyptic monster, I think is a really neat way to think about the character. Um, oh, yeah something i wanted to think about when i was doing the the drag brunch comic not to talk about my own work whatever it's not a big deal um no i was gonna say actually <laughs> great let's I, do it <laughs> i loved that loki i loved. thought that, that was a really good loki oh, um honestly you. just nailed it and you know there's some creators really struggle with that character some creators do a really great job and yeah i would i would definitely count that story as being one of my favorite loki stories Oh, thank you so much. I absolutely agree. I also think people tend to straightwash Loki, and so I was super happy to see Loki show up in, you know, as as themselves doing their thing, but uh, being there and kind of a pain in the ass in like a queer environment. I was like, yes, oh yeah, this seems like exactly where Loki <laughs> would be a little dramatic dickhead, you know? Like this that is, is exactly. If you had to meet Loki, if he was like setting an appointment, he would set that a drag brunch, right? Like that is yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um. Yeah, that he came out He needs his of, drama. He needs his drinks. Exactly. He needs some like fun, light gender play. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. Yeah, it came out of, uh, we were doing, they were doing the War of the Realms series. Um, and they were like, do you want to tell a little story? And I was like, well, they told me what the arc of the character was going to be in it. And I was like, he's like, he's a bad guy again, right? And like, I had so much affection for him in the Young Avengers run. Um, oh yeah, my god he's so good <laughs> yeah and I loved uh, the journey into mystery run that Kieran did too uh-huh. yeah. I was like oh so okay well if Loki uh, spoilers if you haven't read more of the realms yet if Loki's gonna die he's since gotten better but if he's gonna die who would care <laughs> was like, there's maybe one person I could think of who would care and I was like okay I want to put him across the table from uh, Billy Kaplan uh, Wiccan mm-hmm and I was literally like, I'm just going to do my dinner with Andre. I'm just going to have the two of them talk about it. Um, talk about the fact that they have this like irreconcilable friendship that has always ended with this sort of turn. And my idea was that, well, Loki is here. Even Loki doesn't know why he's here. He thinks he's here to sort of recruit a powerful being, but he's actually here to sort of process the fact that he knows he's about to do the shittiest thing he's ever done. And is there anyone who will care when he does it? And that is just like, that is Loki. Loki is not a bad being solely. Yes, he has a lot of bad things he does and is, but he's also good. And I feel like you just nailed it in a really short, you know, part of an issue. I I was just like, yes, (laughs) right. So short. 
that was why I was really impressed with it because I've seen also, you know, so many writers who do super short stories and it's like, cool, this is like their tryout, <laughs> you know, for comics, um, which like isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. But this one, I was just like, wow, this is really just a complete story. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it, um, it, it, I think I have a great affection for characters like Loki. I have, I'm, I did my PhD on 17th century literature. So I have a, I do a podcast about Paradise Lost. So like, when Satan lives in your head as much as he does for me, then, <laughs> then Loki is not that different mm-hmm. uh, a character. Um, and I did want it to be the mo- like as sympathetic as I could. I wanted to think about, well, what's it like to be the guy who walks around with horns on his head? You know, like you purposely put those horns on there. Why? <laughs> so, <laughs> so the comic was sort Ugh. of an attempt to grapple with that. And like mm-hmm. the fact that he literally plays Satan sometimes, you know. Yeah, and you showed his relationship with Freya, which is like such an important part of who he is. And yeah, I love that you showed him turn Thor into a bear. That was hysterical. <laughs> like very Loki, right? It was just, oh, I loved it. I also have to say, I was like, that feels like a wink to the reader that he is, you know, gender fluid Loki posing as Kate, who is widely speculated to be by, and by speculated, I mean confirmed. She loves America Chavez with all of her heart. <laughs> They're in love. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes. I think the the panel where uh, is it, it is America was like, sweetie, you're not that straight. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> She's of, like, okay, yeah. okay, you're straight. <laughs> <laughs> Until we hear otherwise, not that straight is, I think, the summary of where we landed on Kate. Yeah. I don't think mm-hmm. I've actually now written Kate. I've only written Loki in Kate drag. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if I get a chance, yeah, I would love to. Oh, I guess I did kind of because she does appear on panel. She's sort of posing in front of Quentin right. Quire's overturned. Oh, right, um, right. <laughs> Uh, he's trapped in a porta potty on the beach. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly right. what, where Kate would be too. Kate. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. It's clear like you just love these characters so so much. So I'm curious, like, when did you fall in love with Wiccan and Hulkling and and Loki? Like, how did you first happen upon these characters? Oh, um, well, I'm I'm probably older than both of you. I I was a teen when these these comics were hitting the shelves when Wiccan and Hulk when Alan Heinberg sort of created this thing and I remember it was like it felt like I was holding electricity in my hand because it's like oh my god these there's a thing that happened a lot in my life growing up where um especially in comics where you read something and it's like oh this this is a queer character like this is a this is someone who's like me um and it of course never manifests I mean the obvious biggest example of this is Iceman who was like mm. I, I knew Iceman was gay as soon as I read a, an X-Men comic even before oh, I knew yeah. I was gay before I knew I was, I was gay I knew Iceman was gay um, totally. but it, of course that didn't happen until like <laughs> last week I don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, but watching Young Avengers come out and seeing like there's a uh, if you've read it you probably read it in a trade but it was like coming out week to month to month and it was like oh my god i think i think these two are together um and then when you get the reveal it's like oh my god they're they're together i didn't imagine it and it was like it was just like the sky parted and the sun came <laughs> through you know so i've i've been wanting to work on those characters as long since i was half my age probably Right. Well, and Sarah always talks about, you know, you're you're exactly right. There are all these characters who are coded as queer, all these characters who are coded as in queer relationships. We talk about Destiny and Raven all the time and how 
in 2019 we got a kissing panel like are you fucking kidding me like and they a raised flashback. a baby together you know like what the hell <laughs> yeah they did um <laughs> so yeah i don't know i guess like that was kind of because i know you uh we talked about gene gray and being a queer yes. gene gray fan pretty recently i think it was like last year early last year maybe oh my god time is flying yeah Ooh, yeah, <laughs> 10 years ago, last year, who knows. Um, but fairly recently, on in the grand scheme of things, we talked about Jean Grey. Um, but so I, I remember asking you, and this was all stuff that didn't get to make it into the interview uh, because it was kind of clipped, you know, only Jean Grey content. But when did you first get into the X-Men? When Was that your first comic book that you read? Or No, my first comic books were Spider-Man. I was a Spider-Man kid for a while also so gay yeah oh yeah and i mean it was i was a spider-man kid when i was funny i was just listening to your venom episode and i was a spider-man kid right when like the mcfarlane years were happening um so my first comic was actually a spider-man comic that came free with a peanut butter jar where he was oh, i love it <laughs> where he was fighting electro who was smuggling drugs in hockey pucks in montreal oh, wow. so it was like some kind of canadian peanut butter tie-in <laughs> But the art is by Todd McFarlane. Um, oh, wow. And it's like, immediately, it's like, who is this beautiful man who's fighting this guy in this, like, green and yellow costume? Um, <laughs> so I read Spider-Man for a while with all the Venom stuff, especially. Um, but then one day, we had, I don't know if Americans have these, like, book fairs, like, the school. Mm-hmm. Oh, Scholastic. yeah. Is Scholastic a Canadian company? I don't even know. Uh, Scholastic, they definitely have here. I remember going to that. And also... Uh, semi-related that was how i think a lot of like moon girl cells like stayed up moon girl and squirrel girl were both uh comics that were mostly sold through scholastic oh. as far as like the u.s market goes like the recent like ryan's mm-hmm. oh yep. oh god bless yeah because i think that like the uh the comic shop sales were not great like the series probably would have been canceled i think on right. both of those and then uh they found kind of this outside market which was new for Marvel. I think that that was like as recent as like 2016 yeah. that they started really utilizing that market. So I think that the sort of recent diamond stuff has taught everyone that like, oh, the way we've been selling comics is not actually that smart <laughs> or like, bonkers. Not yeah. really accessing the market it should access. It's so hard to explain even like when somebody's just like, oh, so I bought a comic, but it didn't count towards the comic sales. <laughs> And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I don't know. <laughs> like, it's hard enough to explain the numbering of superhero comics. Oh it's hard God. enough to be like, there's seven number ones of X-Men right. or like whatever. And then you're just like, also, let's get into this sales model that they've got going. <laughs> and that's just not sustainable. Yeah. So, yeah, I would I would agree that, you know, the best possible outcome right now would be like Diamond Get out of here, you know, or find find some other stuff. Oh, well, it seems they're self-selecting out of the market, but... Um, <laughs> Very true. Yeah. But a- anyway, yeah, so I was um, I was at a book fair when I was in grade four, um, and they had no Spider-Man, but they had a book that was just said X-Men, and it was a, a Wolverine hunched over, popping his claws. And it wasn't a comic, it was a... Um, it's like a prose. It was like a little bio of each of the characters. So it was like mm-hmm. a like a little encyclopedia. Back in the, before the internet, these books were <laughs> quite popular objects. Um, so I just like obsessed with this book. Like I I read it backwards and forwards and who's Magneto and who's Apocalypse and who's Mr. Sinister. Um, 
And in retrospect, it must have been part of the pre-marketing campaign for the X-Men cartoon show, which I have never been more excited for anything in my life than the day (laughs) that that cartoon was going to air. Um, And I was like so, because I knew all these characters, but I only knew them as like from from this book. And it was like magic (laughs) watching them. Oh my God, I know everything about, I know who that is. That's Magneto and this happened to him. And like, I was like, and I was just, it's, it's just been the thing that has obsessed me in my life ever since. <laughs> so, I remember getting the Night of the Sentinels two-part VHS through like a Pizza Hut deal. Oh, yeah. Pizza Hut clients. <laughs> yeah, I remember those. I used to save my Toonies because they were brand new at the time. A Toonie is like a Canadian $2 coin. Um, and I used to save them because I could use them in the slot machine to get a, an X-Men sticker at Pizza Hut. Oh my god, I love everything about this. Sarah and I, we we've talked before, like both of us, the the animated TV series was like a huge impact on our childhoods. Like I that was how I knew X-Men. Like I can like play the song in my head at any point, and then I'm like, oh, okay, this is where Beast jumps over that oh, person. Yeah. Oh, here's where Storm comes up and looks perfect. You know, it's like such a part of the way I see the world, even, you know. You know that it's a you know that they like heavily lifted the song from a Whitney Houston song. Right? Yes. We, we, <laughs> um, <laughs> our sound engineer, or did you point that out, Sarah? I pointed that out. And then we Kate, lost uh, tried really hard to match the uh, theme song of X-Men to um, <laughs> I'm Your Baby Tonight by Whitney Houston. Um, and it's in different keys. So it, mm. it wasn't a smooth melt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we'll let you know if it's that ends hard, up working out at any point. Whitney's range. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that video found. when she just pops up, in like a white tux like oh my oh, god yeah, that's <laughs> Whitney. right jeez oh, yeah. yeah i mean i'm obsessed with whitney houston um but and the x-men those i like that those there's like a venn diagram where those two things intersect with each other oh yeah i i mean the great tragedy is like who knows what kind of bonkers things she would be just, like she was a huge nerd too like yeah the, like the metropolis tie-ins like oh my god her work is so editorial and so thoughtful about the references it makes i would have loved to see she would have she could have played storm she would have been amazing as oh, storm. My oh my god <laughs> yeah dun, dun, i would love to have seen now that. i'm very sad for <laughs> what could have been I actually like the hulk theme song kind of playing in my head right now <laughs> sad bruce banner is happening for me right now <laughs> oh my god i love that oh it's so terrible <laughs> what was your first favorite character of the x-men who was the first one that kind of stood out to you Oh, I I had a huge crush on Cyclops, which is telling in a lot of ways. But um, it always is for people that have a Cyclops crush, right? Like I went from like Leonardo the Ninja Turtles to Cyclops. I always had a thing for like the whiny leader. Yeah. Um, but my obsession, even in that that book, um, and ever since the cartoon, and like I had the X Men Unlimited number two. I've been obsessed with Magneto my whole life. Like. Um, and again, for like, in retrospect, quite queer reasons. Like when I, I joked oh, yeah. earlier about the the Iceman thing, but like I grew up in a very conservative, like folk Catholic um, upbringing. Like gay people did not exist. And certainly I did not, I couldn't, I literally could not think of myself in that way. So, but when <laughs> the crisis of my, my teen years emerged, like Magneto was really the only totem I had for thinking about um well wait maybe you are different and maybe everything they're telling you about that difference is wrong and maybe mm-hmm. there is a dignity to be extracted from that difference 
Yeah. In a way that the X-Men really never do, right? They're they're written by straight white men largely, and the, so they become this sort of assimilationist, integrationist storyline. But I understood mm-hmm. Magneto implicitly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so interesting how how queer Magneto becomes in the X-Men movies and how there's like not that much discussion around it, I guess, because I mean, you know, some queer fans definitely have noticed and (laughs) (laughs) a couple, there's definitely a lot of fan fiction about it, but then it's also just like, I don't know. His story is extremely bisexual, like through the entire time, him and Xavier are definitely boyfriends. I would not believe otherwise. And <laughs> it's just very queer. And I then will he's fight like, you. I will fight you over that. They are definitely lovers who hate each other. It happens. His super gay little relationship with Mystique, where they're like gay besties and they're being mean to Rogue. Oh my God. Like, when they're I like, love what I you do did like your hair. hair. Yeah. <laughs> How gay could you be? It's like the cattiest gayest thing i've ever heard in my life um but also magneto just outside of that being such a complicated character it was i just always you know there's always just a little bit more to him i guess mm-hmm. that they never really explore in that direction because yeah. they're like no he's like sad straight guy <laughs> yeah there's like it's funny because there's like actually two different parallel but not actually intersecting queer elements in what you just said right like there is the fact of his, like, politics, right? Like, he is very much, like, coming out of, like, a queer nation uh, worldview. Yeah. And then separate from that is, like, into actually kind of entirely separate from that is the fact that X-Men fundamentally is a love story between these two men who have worldviews that are different from each other. And I mean that, like, <laughs> remove even any kind of sexual element to that relationship. Mm-hmm. It is a love story, regardless of whether or not it is a, a, a love story that is manifest. I mean, we used to call these platonic relationships, but in the, the true Plato sense, right? Like two <laughs> men who are like soulmates. Mm-hmm. And of course they also fuck, but that's like a different. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, like a third layer, you know? <laughs> yeah. there's, there's so many layers here. And then when you cast Patrick Stewart and Sir Ian McKellen, oh my Sir God. Patrick Stewart, I'm so sorry, Sir Patrick Stewart. How dare you? Against He's listening to this right. I'm so He's sorry, like, Patrick. <laughs> He's like, that fucking bitch. I am done listening to podcasts. This is what sent him over the edge. But them playing it, like, with all of their chemistry and friendship and, like, the, the you know, the fun ways they sort of screw with, like, those right. heteronormative yeah. and toxic masculinity shit. It's like, oh, my God, there's so many layers of queer. Oh, yeah. And what I like about, I mean my favorite scene is in X2 where it's like they're at each other's throats and yet as soon as the humans sort of attack it's immediately like Magneto is immediately protecting his people right like what is fascinating to me about X-Men is that it is absolutely like an intramural fight right like it's like it is about (laughs) how to how will our minority group deal with the world at large um and it is strange and weird that the fact that they have such a like a a huge popularity when in fact that is it is like literally the, the big bad guys are the sentinels right the big bad guys are the humans mm-hmm. and yet we're we're most fascinated by this like um inter intersocial fight between these two people who are deciding what the shape of their society will be Totally. Yeah, because the sentinels are really boring. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> yeah. we want to hear Magneto have his counterpoint every time yeah tolkien called it the banality of evil that like ultimately fascism is incredibly boring oh god Um, yeah and that's why sauron never shows up in lord of the rings it's like (laughs) he's the most boring character in the story right like that's true (laughs) 
He only has the one motivation. So, yeah. Yeah. And this is also why, I mean, every time, like, I read a Captain America arc or something, like, when Red Skull pops up, I'm always just like, this guy. <laughs> and, like, I just, like, <laughs> get so mad and just, I'm like, cool. You know what? I can just count out 10 pages and skip them because it's just going to be him talking. And, like, I hate <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> Magneto isn't like that, thank God. And is, like, you know, kind of just that it, almost... um I wouldn't say like a counterpoint to somebody like the Red Skull, but he's definitely just a lot more interesting. He's obviously coming from a completely different place. And every single time, you know, we see Magneto, there's just like such a bigger complexity past like the Silver Age, I'd say. And whenever they go back, you know, Grant Morrison kind of made him kind of pointlessly evil again. Whenever they do that, people notice it and they're just like, we don't, we don't love that. Well, because we really, we get his motivations, right? Like we get what motivates Magneto against the X-Men, but mostly mm-hmm. against humanity. And we we see him as someone who's been through a horrible amount. And we see that, like, oh, given the horrific things he has survived, and no women have survived in his life. No. <laughs> he is making actions that maybe would make sense. You and I were talking about this, Sarah, with Tara, when or with Willow, when Willow goes dark because of Tara's death. You were like, yeah, I fucking get it. Like, I like, think I, I understand why probably. that would happen. Yeah, I don't like that it happened in the show, but then it's very difficult to villainize Willow in that narrative, right? Because you're just like, yeah, it, her girlfriend died right in front of her two minutes ago. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. of course you would go like you know take vengeance or something or like even if you know if you didn't at least you'd be able to understand somebody doing it you know because it's like and that's how it is with magneto where it's like i don't always think you know i would knock the earth off of its axis (laughs) just to prove a point you know like i don't always think that but i'm also like damned if you don't have a point that like humans are really terrible (laughs) and i don't know get get me in the wrong moment I don't know. I don't know. Knock it off the axis. I might make some bad decisions. I am a Taurus. But I think that's I think that's what's appealing, is right? He he does the thing you wish you could do sometimes. You know? Oh, totally, like, yeah. Have you guys read the the amazing Act of Vengeance comic that's just twenty four pages of Magneto beating the shit out of the Red Skull? <laughs> no. Oh, I'm writing it down so in my notes. Good. <laughs> that's I all I ever wanted this. to see. Acts of Vengeance is like incomprehensible, really. It's like the idea behind it was um what if a bunch of Marvel supervillains team up and they say, okay, I'm not making any headway against Spider-Man <laughs> or against like the Fantastic Four. Let's work but, together. Best yeah, friend. let's work together. <laughs> let's switch bad guys. Is what, let's switch opponents is what they do. Um, but like playing in the background of this the whole time is the fact that Magneto is teaming up with the Red Skull. <laughs> and when, it un- when, it, when the wheels fall off, it's, he's just like, at the end, he's like, okay, team up's over now i'm going to destroy you and he just beats the <laughs> hell out of the red skull literally for 24 pages the most satisfying experience you'll, and the red skull is like ducking into like um trap doors in his base and like trying to outrun magneto and it's just <laughs> it's so good uh you have to read i think it's i think the art is john byrne i'm not sure um but it's so good pick it up oh my it god i have to great. read that the only counterpoint i can even think to that is like the Silver Sable series where she just goes around murdering Nazis and she like runs into them like in their sick beds and stuff. And yeah. it's just like, I'm gonna kill you. And they're just like, they're like, wait, listen to my sad story. And she's like, proceed. And then they tell her sad story and she's like, I will now kill you. Amazing. <laughs> I love it. Um, um, that reminds yeah. me of in the X-Men movies that have 
Fassbender? Yeah, Michael Fassbender. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he goes to Argentina and kills the Nazis that have been hiding there. Someone right. was just sharing that recently, and I rewatched it, and I was like, God, that's a satisfying scene. <laughs> it was almost I like it a lot. movie. It was, yeah, like, was going like, to be a Magneto movie, yeah. I would watch that for oh, much longer great. than this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, ripping out the guy's teeth and stuff. Oh, oh yeah. So oh. good. So good. Um, I was thinking about what you said about Grant Morrison's Magneto. Mm-hmm. Um and I do think I agree. Like I obviously agree that like it is a flattening. It is like a sure, um, like an offense to the character in some ways. But as like an end point, I take the criticism it makes. You know, like he mm-hmm. is saying that like at the end of the day, you have not been any different than what was done to you. That you have mm-hmm. inflicted the same crimes back again. That you've made an eye for an eye. Um, and it does it like cartoonishly, right? Like he literally right. builds like a concentration camp in New York at the end of that. But even within it, he's sort of built in the excuse of like, well, he's out of his mind on kick, like he's on the the mutant drug. Right. And he gets super irrational. Yeah. Like various (laughs) points in his lifetime. So it's not like it's unprecedented. Right. He does have his tendency to madness. right? (laughs) (laughs) Like Um, out of nowhere. Yeah. But I completely understand Chris Claremont then turning around in Excalibur. Had you read the post- Grant Morrison Excalibur run. I did, yeah. Where Magneto's like, how could you ever believe that was me? And it's like, yeah, Chris Claremont's Magneto would never, right? Like, Totally. (laughs) Well, Chris Claremont's Magneto has that scene with uh, Kitty Pryde, I think in maybe X-Men 200 or 150, (laughs) like (laughs) one one of those. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that scene with Kitty Pryde where he sees her star of David and is just like, oh my God, and has a crisis of conscience because he almost killed her. So he backs off from that immediately and is just, you know, devastated that he had almost killed somebody who was Jewish and has to, you know, come face to face with that fairly early in the arc. So and then it's like, you know, later, what was uh, Claremont's very last story was, you know, those first few issues of 1990 X-Men and um, Magneto is a complete villain there. That's, I believe, where he ends up ripping wolverine's adamantium out or that was soon after i don't remember which one but it was around that time three and then x-men 25 is the oh yeah but it's yeah it's the same period it's the the avalon asteroid m magneto as cultist very 90s kind of story now that i think about it actually he's like he's like (laughs) the mutant messiah um and then that leads to the the coma and then mm-hmm. <laughs> onslaught. <laughs> yeah, good old onslaught. But Claremont's back at it now. Did you read X Men Black, where Magneto's fully like saving refugee kids in camps at the U.S. border? It's amazing. No, no, I didn't read that. <laughs> I actually didn't even know that that came out. When was that? Oh, it's just like one issue. It's X Men Black from like two years ago, where he's oh, just okay. like he. It's clearly Claremont. Like I love, I love him to bits. Right? Like he could just mm-hmm. rest on his laurels for the rest of his life. And he said he's writing these like. Again, very Claremontian, like, <laughs> naked polemics about, like, the U.S. and about its poor policies. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, Magneto is ripping the roof off these internment camps in the U.S. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I I want to go back to that because you said that earlier, Anthony, about one of the things that's so satisfying about someone like Magneto or the other, like, like the thing about Iceman, like, reading reading the Iceman comics – after he's come out and his powers become so incredible is, is this ability to think like, Oh my God, the people who could have justice or some semblance of defense maybe is a better even word than justice. Like the, the, the bashing and the violence towards queer people and the ability to stop it, the ability to like defend progressive values in a meaningful way besides like, not that 
protesting and other in forms like voting, right. all important things. I am I am actually a pacifist, <laughs> I swear. <laughs> but like part of me is like, yeah, I think that it'd be nice to see some people fuck some people up. Like yeah. I remember in Queer as Folk when is it Justin? You know, the young twink. He mm-hmm. starts like the pink posse and they start like kicking homophobes' asses. <laughs> yep, yep. And part of me was like, should I start a pink posse? Yeah. <laughs> is this my calling in life? And it's like, no, you're a nerd. Stay home. But I, I just like there's something about the idea of being able to defend oneself and the idea of being able to have just like that much power. And what I see Magneto do so often, depending on the depiction, right, is like something horrible or something awe-inspiring and good or bad frequently. And then you see Bobby sort of pull back. You know, he goes mm-hmm. to that point of killing Deken. Like he goes to that point of killing Mr. Sinister. And then he's like, you know, I'm going to pull it back. I'm just going right. to pull it back a little bit. <laughs> right. And I, and I appreciate it, but part of me is like, why? <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe don't pull back. Like Mr. Sinister hurts a lot of people. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's true. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, Magneto's politics and Toad's politics are the same, right? Like, <laughs> but what we love is the power fantasy, right? The, right. Like, what if there was, and what if there was a bogeyman too? Like, what if mm-hmm. there was maybe it's not me like oh I'm an I'm a I'm like you I'm a lovely pacifist but what if there was someone out there who was just like what if straight people were a little afraid of us you know? <laughs> <laughs> well shit I mean the Ar- the Argentine feminists right they're like okay how many rapists have to die before men stop raping and I gotta say it's a pretty compelling argument <laughs> like I'm like a little bit on board right. I mean but I don't think murder's okay but then I'm like but is it I don't know I don't know <laughs> exactly that toggling is the the toggling you're doing right now the back and forth of, of it is the the satisfying thing right like what if there was someone who believed the thing i don't believe <laughs> but, right, but they right, believed right, it right. and they were being effective by doing it right yeah that's and what exactly... if i was okay with it i have to ask myself some questions about <laughs> oh, dear, my morality oh dear. <laughs> obviously i don't side with what they've done but they've made some compelling I would points never <laughs> <laughs> um and i actually think that's in the story too the most satisfying most satisfying versions of that in in world to me are also versions of that right like where you see like in the films you see pyro being seduced to it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or you see the way that um and the damage it does too right like i like when it's like well what if magneto hadn't been around would it actually have been better for their movement if there wasn't this sort of fearful model out there right which is what like the impetus behind the age of apocalypse was supposed to be right like um, ultimately, I don't right. think that's true. I do think I've, as a person who does work in some fairly radical queer circles, like it is it, assimilationism will never get you anywhere, right? Like mm-hmm, you can put right. on all the suits you want. They're never going to respect you. They're never going to see you as their equal. Right. And the suit is another closet in a way, you know, like exactly, we have yeah. to talk about how capitalism is anti-queer. And that's like a hard I, I see so often we've we have gained civic rights to some degrees. We have gained safety to some degrees in some places but that 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 idea that like oh that could be enough and then if i just like you said put on my little suit get mm-hmm. my little briefcase <laughs> get my little prius drive to my little job like i'm good and it's like no because homelessness exists and queer people are homeless queer youth are homeless yep. we and ultimately it always comes back to you right like that's always exactly the thing too is is that like conditional respect isn't respect so 
the idea that people can be like, well, we're cool with this from gay people, but not that from gay people <laughs> and stuff like that is like, well, then you're not cool with gay people. Like that's like the rule, right? Is you kind of are breaking it. You're being a terrible ally. You know? Right. <laughs> um, but I would say that like all of that kind of, I mean, that stuff does kind of come up in really interesting ways in the X-Men always. And of course there's been a lot of conversation around that. I think uh, in the media of just how, you know, how similar it is to queer experiences because of that, because you have super centrist Xavier. <laughs> right, right. Always just like, well, respectability politics and Magneto's exactly. like, uh-uh, burn it down. And, uh, you know, usually I think the moral of the movies ends up laying somewhere outside of that. Uh, and it's kind of the same with the comics as well, right? Like we... We have like a little bit more, I think, respect for the villains in the comics, though, because you see people like Emma Frost and Magneto just crossing line after line <laughs> after line. And we're just like, go, Emma, go, Emma. Right. <laughs> Step on their necks. Yeah. yeah. Like, there is a kind of soap opera logic, right? Where it's like, no matter who, I mean, I, I see this happen on Twitter all the time where it's like, someone's like, I stand this character. And they're like, how could you? They committed war crimes. Like, everybody... <laughs> Everybody at the end of the day at some point. I mean, these (laughs) comics have been running for so long. You do have to forget about the time that she was possessed by a demon or whatever, right? Yeah. (laughs) Every time somebody brings up, if I'm like, oh, I really like Captain Marvel, and people are just like, Civil War 2. And I'm just like, yeah, but everybody in Civil War 2. Like, you can't just, like, focus on that part. Because, I mean, yeah. I mean, I wrote an article about how much she sucks in that. But, like. But other than that, you know, I mean, she she it doesn't match any of her other characterization. We have a billion writers on all of these properties. Like, exactly. it goes over decades. You like, have to apply myth logic, right? Like, oh, my God. It's yeah. like, what is this version of Hercules doing mm-hmm. over and against this version of Hercules? Like, what does Zeus represent in this story versus what he represents in this story? Right. Like, you can make a Zeus that is like basically like a um, like a very like amazingly sublime encounter with the divine or you can play him as like the philandering loser right and those are both you can have the ovid version of zeus or you can have like the more like uh trojan war version of zeus right like and they're both Mm -hmm. valid and they're both useful tools they're useful crayons for artists to tell stories with but you have to be aware of the the plasticity and i think that's true of comics too like like there's people who could be hearing this and being like, how dare you like Magneto <laughs> killed millions of people. It's like, yeah, but like, come on, like they don't exist. <laughs> but we like him. Um, <laughs> this is a complete side note. Did you read the book Cersei that Madeline Miller, oh, I think I was the name of I love Madeline Miller so yeah. much. Yeah. Okay, cool. You were talking like maybe you and I would have this in common. I thought that Cersei was one of the best books. I just got finished reading it and it was kind of just a random You pick. read Song of Achilles, right? I have not read oh Song of Achilles. Oh my god, it's so listen, any everyone who's I'm out writing there, this read down too. Song of Achilles. It's her book <laughs> before Circe. It is the gayest, most beautiful Oh my god. Is the perfect quarantine read. I don't know when this comes out, but like um Madeline Miller is like a classicist by training and um so she mm-hmm. knows these things backwards and forwards. And actually her work does the same thing where it's like how do you reconcile how do you tell a queer love story about Achilles when when you're reconciling the fact that there's like the straighter versions of Achilles in right. history too. It's like a really great Really great read, beautifully written. With Cersei, she's like, uh, I think that it was so good and cohesive as far as being like, here's the evil things that she did, here's the good things that she did, and here's <laughs> how all of those things are by one person, you know, because this person lived eons, apparently, or like this god lived for an incredible, or right. demigod, I believe, 
um, but lived for an incredibly long time. And so she swings all <laughs> over the place over like morally over <laughs> her story. So it's just like, of course it would be different. Like, of course, you know, 5,000 years ago, I would have made a terrible mistake in my life, I'm sure. Like, <laughs> and would you even be the same person? Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what it does. So if you haven't heard, and I don't know how on earth you haven't heard, we are doing a very cool fiction project for Pride, aren't we, Sarah? Oh, yes. Yes, we are indeed. It's called Decoded Pride Anthology, and it's an online anthology, a story a day for every day of Pride Month. That means 30 stories and comics, all by LGBTQ plus creators, and they're all queer stories, and oh my god, they're so good. There's one about, like, a really loving mushroom. Uh, it's amazing. Oh, incel gets eaten by shark? <laughs> What's not to like about this? And the list goes on and on and on. There's so many cool stories here. It's all available online, and we're still selling subscriptions, so it's only $15 for the entire month's stories. And at the end of the month, what do they get, Sarah? A PDF that collects all of the stories. And what's extra special about these stories that you're doing, Sarah? Oh, I am drawing a picture for every one of the stories that isn't a comic, because what sense would that make? But 28 stories get art by me. Original art by our own Sarah Century. Oh my god, this is such a cool project. Not only because, hey, that's a damn fine deal. 30 stories, that's 50 cents a piece for 15 bucks. Decodedpride.com. But also because this is important. It shows that there is an audience for LGBTQ plus writing and genre. We know that there are so many people who want to write these stories. Trust me, we read hundreds of them. And we know that people want to read them. So help us prove that. Come join us at decodedpride.com. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Dot com, dot gov, dot gov, dot co, dot uk. Next. 
to like show that I'm on the same level with y'all. In the Vampire Diaries, there's like these these two brothers, Damon and Stefan, and and like when we meet Damon, he's just like wantonly murdering people all over town. Like, just like people we know, people we like, he turns that person into a vampire. Oh, he killed that person. Oh, he killed the whole town. (laughs) And then like four seasons later, they're like, look how great he is. And you're like, damn it, if I don't love him now, you know? Yeah. And then it tugs the rug back up from under you, right? With the Caroline stuff where she's like, actually, I would remind you that I am a a vampire because of you, right? Like, (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. I'm so happy that you, you you know, TV. Oh, I love the Vampire Diaries. Um, I'm new to it. I just, I I actually started watching Legacies, which is like the. Oh, I haven't done that one yet. Third series in the the lineage. And what's the other one? one The Origin, the Originals. 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 Right, 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 right. right. Um, Legacies is adorable. It's about like all these, like, they're at a boarding school at the house. and they're like, I'm a werewolf, I'm a witch, I'm a vampire, and I'm real mad. And they're just like so cute. It's like Buffy meets Riverdale in this Perfect. little town. I love everything about it. And so I was like, well, shit, I don't know who anybody is. I want to go watch this old one. Oh, you and started I just, there. Oh, yeah, wow. I know. But I've been watching DVD pretty quickly. Right, and Because, you know, the world ended a little bit. And <laughs> I, yeah, I've just been like... How do I? Damon is my favorite character. It's, it's that like, fascinating work, right? Like, how do you confront <laughs> yes. the ethics of these likable? I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about with Loki, right? Like, um, I think that that's one of the functions of fiction, though, is like to create a space where there are no consequences to working on these ethical problems, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and I think that the mistake is always to bring the real world to bear. Uh, when it comes to people's uh, media stuff. Like I actually been, I've been playing Mass Effect during this quarantine. Mass Effect is all ethical <laughs> decisions, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. last night I made a bad decision and I got this poor lady killed. And it's like, at the end of the day, she's <laughs> she's a workbook, right? She's not a person. She's like right. a, an opportunity for me to think about these issues. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really all fiction is. Yeah. And the intensity people bring to that is itself interesting. It is sort of the fan wars are fascinating to me. Um, but I think one of the lessons you eventually learn is like, actually, how Dawn feels in this episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer does not actually have any effect on my life, but it is interesting the way that I think it does. <laughs> right. Like we, they become real to us. And I, I totally agree with you. I think that so often in my fiction, people will be like, so which character do you identify most with? Like, which one's you? And I'm like, that's not how fiction works. <laughs> like, they're all me and none of them are right. me. Like, because it's about, like, the aspects of, you know what, it's cool. I'm all of them. Enjoy. You know, like, whatever. And I I just think that that's, I I think of that as a fan, too. Like, absolutely. I see horrible things Buffy does. I I see myself do horrible things that annoying shit Dawn does. I'm like, oh, God, that's me right now. And I'm like a grown-ass adult. Like, I do that exact thing, you know? Like, and, and. I think it's, it's yeah, I, I love people's fandom. Like, if, if you know what, ship ship on, right. have your things, your, your hills you're going to die on. It, life is pointless. Do what feels good. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's my motto. And so, like, I just, I, I love it. I love how, like, fucking intense. Like, I told someone I loved Spike, and they were like, you what? Do right. you not remember the episode where? Yeah. And I'm like, bitch, I remember the episode where. But... I don't fucking care. A, he doesn't have a soul. B, 
who fucking cares? He's a different person in different parts. And he was never meant to be a character that was part of it, right? That's the other thing I love is when people paint themselves into a corner. They're like, I'm going to make this person a mass murderer. And then they have to redeem them because the audience loves them for like TV. You know, like right. we loved Spike. <laughs> they had to keep Spike. So they had to take this character who killed two slayers and a lot of people over many, many years. <laughs> With like, railroad spikes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do we keep him on the screen? You know, right. like... <laughs> this will take some moral flexibility. Right. And the flip side of that also is that I find it fascinating and hilarious the way people will love shows and hate the person who made the show. It's like, mm-hmm. like I find that amazing as a person who writes things now where it's like, as a writer, my job is to put these characters through terrible things. Like that, right. that is literally my job. <laughs> Otherwise, there'd be no story. Like you'd be so bored. Yeah. I love a coffee shop AU too, but like at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, my job is to make these people suffer. Like that is why you love them, is because you see them suffer and recognize in their suffering some version of your own suffering. <laughs> and so, but yeah, and that means they have to hate you sometimes, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. It reminds me of whenever uh, Jean Grey died and all of the letter columns were like, you've lost a reader, murder. I mean, I feel that like I am mad, too. You know, I definitely am just like, I'm not reading this anymore or something. Um, But if Chris Claremont, if if Jean Grey had died when the Internet was around, Chris Claremont would still be in (laughs) hiding. Yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. I mean, I flip out because, like, Jean Grey is wearing the same outfit she wore when she was, like, 15 or something. Like, I just flip out over really small things. (laughs) Like, you know, in in a calm internet way where I'm not, like, I would never be, like, Chris Claremont, why did you do this? You murderer. You you get to do what you want as a creator for sure. But also I'm just, like, but and also Chris Claremont is not the reason that happened. But I would also just be, like... You know, I'll make fun of it or I'll be like, I'm not reading that or like, I don't feel like it. You know, it's, it's very uh, easy for me to be get turned off of a book. Um, but then that's good because you can always just come back to it later. Well, <laughs> like, that's, I mean, again, soap operas, right? Like, oh, oh I'll, yeah. I'll pick it up next season, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't have to watch this right now. I can come back to it when I feel better about it. That's why I did with the entire film franchise. Like, I didn't watch any of them while they were coming out because I watched the first one. In 2000, whenever I was, you know, my biggest nerd self and was totally like, you know, push my glasses up like that's not how Rogue is like in the comics and like was not having it. And then it's (laughs) like I watch it now. My non-existent glasses, actually. (laughs) Uh, My sunglasses, I meant. Um, (laughs) But also I'm just like, yeah, I I forgive them now. Like it's a lot easier because there's an emotional distance. So right. I can watch something like Wolverine origins and be like, heck yeah, like this movie's <laughs> ridiculous. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, we've been talking as though we've just been talking about longevity. Like Magneto has done all these terrible things over 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. But like, Actually, the other way they're like myths is that there's so many different versions of the characters, right? Like you can have your nineties, Jim Lee, um, cheesecake rogue, and you mm-hmm. can have your moody, x-men evolutions rogue right and you can have Mm -hmm. and they they give you ways of thinking about these like elemental things about these characters that can shift and turn and hold different light to when depending on how you hold them right Mm -hmm. i love that i love and there's nothing else like it right like the 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 joy of of these characters is they are i can write i can spend the rest of my life writing and maybe once in a million years you get to create something like a Harry Potter or something 
where right. it's like it like catches the live wire of the culture, which is not even a comment about the quality of Harry Potter or the writer of Harry Potter. I just mean like, <laughs> the timing. Right. The timing was yeah. was perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And to this day, there are people litigating about whether or not they're the real person who wrote Harry Potter because they pitched things that were almost identical at the same time and they didn't get picked up because exactly. it's a crapshoot. You you can't control a market and you can't control who's going to hit first. But exactly. we do right. come to ideas at a similar time and that's why they're received so, so well in that moment, you know? Right. And like working with Marvel stuff is like that's – that's it, right? Like everyone, I talk, I say with the name Wolverine or I say Loki and everyone knows who that is. And it's yep. like being able to put your hands on that is like, it's <laughs> like no other thing, right? You create a character or you are working on a character, you know, and this is a character that doesn't belong to you, right? It's even with something like Harry Potter, that doesn't belong to JK Rowling, Rowling anymore. Like that belongs to the people who really love it because they have <laughs> yeah. a different relationship with it than she does. You know, like I think about that stuff a lot. And if there's like a priest, uh, like a character that you were already into and then you get to write it, then I think obviously then it turns into like, I get to do this chapter of this, like, you know, much longer story. Cause as you say, you know, probably in a hundred years, we're still going to be, there's still going to be X-Men stories of some kind. Right. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, the, it, the story keeps going. That's sort of the pleasure of it. Right. Like you get, you, touch the baton for a second and then off it goes again. Mm-hmm. Just hope you did something interesting while you had it. Yes. Um, I want to slightly turn our focus just a little bit uh, because I just had a lot of questions about, you know, something that we haven't really talked about that much on the podcast. Shockingly <laughs> is that the coming out stories of a lot of the X-Men. Oh yeah. And I kind of want to talk about that with you. Um, Cause I think that, you know, it's something that I've put a lot of thought into and how like the coming out narrative has changed a lot because you have such a different world from something like North Star to Iceman. Right. Like, obviously, like, <laughs> that was kind of night and day situation going on there. But they're both actually kind of problematic, too. So it's like, but in yep. different ways, because he, he gets like outed by Jean Grey. Um, but then like, you know, with North Star, it was also he's like forcibly outed, essentially, like he has to come right. out. He but comes out in that huge word bubble as he's punching someone yeah i'm gay i know that's how i always come out to you um unfortunately it's caused a lot of problems if you have even one foot still on the ground when you come out you're doing it wrong you have to be fully (laughs) airborne at the time yeah flying at somebody and being like guess what (laughs) um so yeah when did i guess (laughs) that is how i start on mine guess what I have some information for you um, about my life. He's like saving a baby, isn't he? Yeah. Isn't that what he's oh doing? Oh my yeah. God. It's it doesn't so even succeed. Intense. It's so fucked up. And, that story is every single gay stereotype of 1992 right. just kind of coming at you from all the different directions. Like their own little flying North Star. And <laughs> <laughs> it's just <laughs> so ridiculous. But also, I mean, that's like the thing, right? Like that was, he's not the first superhero who came out, but he's like one of them. Um, and of course, the ones before like Extrano and like oh, yeah, <laughs> much not, more not offensive, great. right? So, um, which is baffling that it was more offensive, but it is. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> with North Star, I think that, that it's interesting because this is a character and, you know, some people have talked about this before. But it's a character who comes out 
and then vanishes from the book immediately and then has a mini series where it's never mentioned through the entire mini series he just is doesn't have any interest in anybody and then <laughs> it's he uh shows up again in the x-men to kind of like flirt with bobby a little bit and oh, then yeah. it's like oh i'm getting married <laughs> to like this guy um who nobody knows like he just kind of comes in and he's a like it seems like they have a great relationship like but they just never really seem to have time to work it out on the page very much you see like a little kind of sidebars like i think in one of the alpha flight stories they're kind of like a little sidebar they're like everything is terrible at all times are you okay not really are you okay (laughs) not at all should we get married let's go ahead and do that which i always say is the recipe for a good marriage (laughs) do you mean north star and kyle or it's kyle yeah. yeah. yeah um Kyle and he is, I believe they're still married, but I just never see them. So I have no idea. I will say that that is being remedied soon. I, oh. I, uh, yeah, they're working on, Kyle will be in some of the X books soon. I don't think oh, that's, that's good. to say. I like Kyle. Um, I think Kyle's great. Uh, you, you may have noticed X Factor's lineup includes North Star, so... Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. And it's by Leah Williams, right? Yes, so we have the most oh, darling angel. I I have to, oh my God, Leah Williams literally has dealt with my mind scorpions where I'm just like <laughs> sending 4 a.m. texts being like, this is horrible, what do I do? And she was like, soothed me down. So uh, <laughs> X Factor is going to be so good and so queer. Yeah, I mean, how could it not be? Oh, I'm so excited. Her chastity was like so freaking good. Sometimes Lorna Dane and like Rachel Summers just stand next to each other. And I'm like, oh, my <laughs> Even God. Even just the color story of those two standing It's just next like, to each oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to get married. Kitty's going to be so sorry. They'd look it's so good. Oh, yeah. That clock is ticking, Kitty. Yeah. yeah if you're going to make a play, now's the time. <laughs> now's the damn time now that you're dead. <laughs> like, or, you know, I mean, I'm sure that that also is changing soon. Um, yeah. Sorry, but I did derail your point about coming outs. <laughs> yeah. And just how they're different, right? So, like, some characters do get them, some characters don't. Um, North Star obviously had a coming out, but then it was massive erasure for, you know, 20, 30 <laughs> years <laughs> after that. So that wasn't great. Um, and then you have. You know, Mystique and Destiny, who are now on panel canonically, and you know, blah blah blah. Even though, I mean, it's really hard to misinterpret. You know, <laughs> as much as as much as the censorship was up, up, up on those two, it's still just like they're they're like married though. Like they always <laughs> seem married. There's not really a time when they don't. And then they're just like goodbye, best friend, or right. whatever. And you're just like, okay. They're like, farewell, roommate. And you're just like, I guess. Gal, who is my pal. Yeah. Like, in the technical sense, yes, but you also are more than that. But they also, like, there's no story behind them, you know? It's like, we have this, like, well, they're freedom fighters, and that's all super interesting. Like, I love those two characters. I'm obsessed with them. But it's totally just, like, you know, you have them be out now, but Destiny is obviously dead. That's like probably once again <laughs> going to change at some point now that we Give have like, me the back life my wife. Uh, yeah, so I want my wife back. Oh, we all remember. I'm like literally just waiting for Mystique to just start destroying shit pretty much because I'm just like, well, I mean, Xavier, <laughs> like <laughs> you really have like messed with her way too much in this in this story arc. Um, but you know, she, they still haven't really super had like any kind of a coming out. It was just eventually people stopped lying about it. I guess like people were finally like, Oh, I guess that they are together for sure. Okay. Let's have them kiss in like a flashback story or whatever. 
It's kind of weird, though, too, because even when it feels really obvious, like uh, in mechanics, when Karma reaches out and like pulls Shadow Cat's <laughs> hair down, hair. like I'm like, yeah. I'm sorry, that's so queer. <laughs> like, I, I don't, don't do that with my best friends. Exactly. I don't ever like, pull but- Sarah's hair down and go, "Oh, Sarah, nice hair." <laughs> like, yeah, that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> That would be an awkward moment. <laughs> you do that when you're trying to bone down. We know this. <laughs> yeah, and then they almost kiss, like, later in it. So it's like, I mean, but that's not the only time, right? Because you would, like, remember, like, the Excalibur era where Courtney Ross comes in and is, you know, very clearly has an affair with Kitty Pride. Um, uh, but an- another character who is just like, will probably, I don't know if Kitty will, like, ever come out of the closet, ever. The easiest thing to me is to say, well, these are problematic coming outs, but like, right. my coming out was problematic. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, like, this is the thing that I don't like when these texts are made into workbooks for like, like, oh, this has to be the most perfect coming out and then it'll be oh, the yeah. most correct and therefore the best coming out. Like, yeah, it sucks that Gene did that to Bobby. But mm-hmm. do you know how many of my friends had a girl who walked up to them and were like, listen, buddy, you're gay. And it's like, <laughs> It sucks. It's not a great thing to do to somebody, but it happens. It is a real version of a coming out. Sure. So, like, part of me has always been, like, when that panel, when those that page of Bobby being like, what's happening? Like, I, <laughs> I have had that conversation. I mean, this is the other thing is, like, you have a thousand coming outs, right? You come out every day. I mm-hmm. still have to come out all the time. Like, And I've had that version of it where someone was like, you're gay. Like, oh, no, am I? <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, so I kind of like, and I've, I know I've had the coming outs. I've seen people have the coming outs you just described with Destiny and Mystique, where it's like, well, maybe we should just stop pretending they're not, you know? Like, that's, <laughs> everyone kind of has that ant, don't they? Where it's like, we're still pretending that that person is her roommate, right? Like, <laughs> um, and I like, I think the ultimate solution to this is like more coming outs, right? Like tell this story a thousand times. This is the other thing is like, straight people have had centuries to tell their stories and I want to turn <laughs> and I want Just to flood the market with them so that it's like, you don't like that coming out? Here's another one over here. You don't like that coming out? Here's another <laughs> one over here. Like it, you should be able to find your story a hundred times and you should be like, well, Wiccan and Hulkling's story sounds like mine in this element and Bobby sound like, sounds like mine in this element. And um, even to, I was trying to in preparation for this figure out how to say if his name is a knoll or a noli and even as we're recording x-men writers are fighting in my feet about which it is but it's like victor Berkorsky is coming out should sound like yours you know like tell queer stories until you're blue in the face to me like i want to see problematic coming outs i want to see ugly coming outs and bad coming outs because i know a lot of people who had terrible coming outs mm-hmm. i want to see Lots of queer characters. So guess what? It shouldn't be a big deal that Villanelle exists. She should be able to be queer and terrible and a sociopath. That should be okay. Because (laughs) there are queer people who are terrible and a sociopath. Because you can be, you know what, boys and girls and people who are not, you can be an asshole and have any gender. You can be an asshole and have any sexuality. But it can't be the only representation. And that's what makes it so frustrating when we talk about like how Disney villains have been coded as queer for forever. I don't have a beef with a lot of those characters. I love Ursula. I think Scar has some interesting (laughs) points. You know, like great in a robe, yeah. What's to dislike? And he's like, fine, I'll marry a woman if I can have power. And I'm like, that queer existed in history. Yeah. That fucking queer definitely. 
definitely existed. So if we have more representations, it's like also when we talk about barrier gaze, it's like if there are enough people, if your world is robust and filled with queer representation and deaths aren't meaningless like shock value, like there are ways that these things can happen. Do I personally need to see them? Hell no. I'm good. I would (laughs) would take immortal queers for forever. Thank you. But I think that we don't – we're so often – so often we look at like what the plate of food we have instead of the plate of food we could have when it comes to representation. Right. And so yeah. we end up bickering about all these imperfect things that it's like, I'm with you. I'm like, yeah, we should have imperfect coming outs. And you know, the I actually think there should be lots of people who never have to come out. I think that's a really great thing. I've been watching Motherland, a new TV show that, you know, Highs and lows. I'm a fan. I get what people have critiques of it. But there's a queer character and she just literally never comes out. And everyone's just like, oh, we like your girlfriend. Your girlfriend's really nice. Right. The end. And it's like, well, that's that's great. Because coming out is, I always think of it as like a double-edged sword. It's a, a beautiful you know, ability to claim your own narrative. An ability to say, like, I'm going to be me despite the costs. That's super awesome and powerful, but it's also an oppression. It's something that is foisted upon queer people. Right. Qu- queer people aren't like, oh, I'd like to announce who I am at all times so that someone doesn't, I don't know, say something offensive or whatever the thing is that we're trying to either prevent or cause. So I think it's like, yeah, there should be so many different ways to be queer because there are so many different ways to be queer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's also um, ways to build your world too. like. Um, I forget who the showrunner is. I feel really bad. But the the showrunner of Teen Wolf always said that, like, well, Teen Wolf is set in an alternate reality where no one cares if you're gay, that it is, like, an accepted thing. And the show is, he's a, he's a gay creator. And the show is full of, like, positive representation of, like, queer people. Um, and I think there's something very valid about that. It's like, yeah, I want to see stories where queer people are oppressed. And I also enjoy the fantasy of a world where they're not. And it's, like, not an issue in this world. Um, I could imagine that being very comforting when I was 17 or whatever. Um, but I agree. Like, we'll know there's progress when um, you can kill gays again, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When it doesn't feel like a, a personal attack, right? Yeah, like, yeah. like, oh, my only character I like in this thing the is the only dead. one on like, TV. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. This This makes me feel very hopeful about the future. Right. I was also going to add to that list, uh, besides Team Wolf, also Shit's Creek and Steven Universe both exist in, and, and, and I would say Shira, uh, the new Shira reboot, exist in worlds where, where queerness is not necessarily a, a topic that has to be addressed. People just get to be queer. And yeah, some, you know, David has to come out at some points, but for the most part, people just get to be queer and right. people around them, if they have issues with it, that's their problem. But for the most part, they're just like, cool. Right. Yeah. I mean, normal Steven, stuff. I did the I did the Steven Universe comic where he went to his first pride parade. Oh, um, and it's like so it's a it's a fascinating it's kind of in parallel to the X-Men thing where it's like what happens when the meta the thing that it's a metaphor for becomes a thing in the world, you know, like mm. Iceman is a weird version of this where it's like. So he is a mutant, which is a metaphor for being gay, but he's gay, too. Right. Like, yeah. He's, he's gay squared. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. So when you confront these things, it's like, okay, well, is it an issue in this world? Or like Steven Universe in itself as the way, as an engine designed to think about queerness is fascinating to me because like, obviously most of the characters, if not all the characters are queer. Um, and yet, 
And of course, there's no problem with that within the world of the story. And yet, so much of what the story's themes are about is exclusion and discrimination and like this whole thing about fusion being this monstrous, like unnatural thing that some of the gems can do and that has made them into outcasts is also about queerness, right? Absolutely. So I love the way that engine is built. And I love stories that can toggle back and forth like that. Yeah, I think that all of that is really important. I wanted to ask you about your podcast. Oh, yeah, So sure. <laughs> let's talk about that for a little while. Because I think that it, you've brought up some of the similar themes, right, that you talk about in your podcast here, where we're talking about characters that have been around for a long time, (laughs) you know, works that have been around for a long time and the kind of way that, you know, characters change over time, definitely. And yeah, I guess I'm just kind of interested because I was, is your podcast is only on Patreon? Is that correct? Uh, Yeah. There's a few, there's a few episodes that I've put up for free, but it's mostly just been, um, I, I came out of, I just finished my PhD two years ago um, on 17th century literature. So it was like Paradise Lost is one of the texts, which is John Milton's epic poem about the fall of Adam and Eve, but told pretty much from the perspective of Satan. Um, so you spend <laughs> basically the length of Moby Dick in the company of the most evil person in the cosmos, um, who is basically a sympathetic protagonist. Paradise Lost is amazing. Oh, it's it's just so, it's the most... It, nothing sounds like it. Um, when I read it in college, I was like, holy shit, this is art. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> what have I been doing? <laughs> the sound of it is just, Milton was blind oh. when he wrote it. And so often when you're confused about what it says, all you have to do is read it out loud mm-hmm. and it sort of unlocks itself, um, which is why I wanted to do it as a podcast. But I knew as I was doing it, the frustrating thing about Paradise Lost is it's not like Shakespeare. Shakespeare is... I know this sounds weird for some people to hear, but Shakespeare is quite accessible. Like he's a, he's a pop culture writer. Milton yeah. is literally he spoke like twelve languages. Um, he when he makes a reference, he won't just make the reference; he'll make the reference in as abstract and abstruse a way as possible. <laughs> and like he won't say Hercules; he'll be like the son of whoever, right? Um, and the the consequence of that is that the scholarship around Milton tends to be incredibly conservative. It tends to be these like. 80-year-old dudes who are always saying things like, well, if you knew the Latin or like, (laughs) so, (laughs) and yet when you read it, Paradise Lost is incredibly queer. It is unbelievable how explicit, especially in its relation to gender. Um, Milton himself had a fascinating relationship to gender. His nickname in college was the Lady of Christchurch. He sort of styled himself (laughs) in this very effeminate way in a period where it was very unusual to do that um and the characters in the text are quite gender fluid all the angels in it are entirely gender fluid the they identify as male they always get these male pronouns but we hear about these crazy like pan gender orgies Um, (laughs) and you don't get to hear about that so i just wanted to do a, a uh, a, a like literal line by line explanation of Paradise Lost, and it was always developing towards what's now going to be a graphic novel project called Apocrypha, uh, which is coming out from Harper Teen not soon uh, because we have to write it <laughs> and then illustrate it. Um, but it's a queer. It's basically the cosmology of Paradise Lost, but telling a queer love story about these two teens um, who get wrapped up in the apocalypse. It's going to be so much fun. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. <laughs> it's what I've either. been waiting for. Is, the, is that the bulk of what you're working on right now is 
this graphic novel? Uh, that's yeah. I have that's my year. I'm also working on a book um, called Day Spring, which is uh, a novel length uh, a, a novel length expansion on a short story that I wrote for um, Hazlitt Magazine, which is. Um, it's basically the Gospels as told from the perspective of the the Apostle John, uh, the beloved of Christ. So it's like a very, also very queer, also very religious. I have themes that are clearly emerging <laughs> as an artist. Um, and I have oh, because a, historically, religious language is is where so much of the sauce was of writing, right? Oh, like yeah. like Teresa, like of Avila, like getting down oh on her knees God. for Christ. You're like, ooh, that's the hot. Bernini statue. The have you seen the Bernini statue of Teresa? Oh yeah, it's like oh yeah. The, her robes are like undulating as like as though her, her outfit was performing her orgasm. It's amazing. Sometimes I just think <laughs> about it and I'm like, that's hot. Oh yeah, hot. it's. <laughs> I mean, that's my trauma, right? Like I, as I said, I grew up in a very Catholic house, and it's like. I have this weird experience where it's like the things that made me who my, who I am are not the things I am anymore. It's like mm. <laughs> I feel like mm-hmm. I'm always poking at this like old chrysalis I came out of where it's like what am I going to do with this? Like the architecture of my brain is all it speaks the language of a catholic mass even though I don't believe in any of it anymore. So um I'm always working that stuff out. Totally. And then I have some yes. Marvel stuff coming out and then I have um uh I'm writing a World War 2 Thing for Boom um, for their Marginalized Heroes series. So I'm all over the place, very busy. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to add about comics or, uh, you know, X-Men? <laughs> oh my, I could talk about X-Men for the I rest know, I of know. my life. This is why I'm breaking it down topic to topic <laughs> before I call you. Um, <laughs> to I be like, all I right. Know. I mean, I literally could talk about how queer the X-Men, like we didn't even talk about Richter, Shatterstar. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. So, um, what did you think of the Cena Grace Iceman series? Oh, I, I, I loved it. I thought that, I thought that the editorial pressures maybe were manifest in it. Um, <laughs> yes, I I've, think that that's been stated. <laughs> I've since read his comments and like, right. I understand what that must be like. And I mean, I don't know. You, you hope things change. Um, you try to kick the ball a little bit further down the field. I think everybody does. I think that the thing that working, not just in comics, but on licenses, um, which I've done many and some of them are public and some of them aren't, it's like so much of what we tend to think of as queer baiting is often an artist doing their very best. Right. Um, and it always breaks my heart the way some artists get criticized for work that they did. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Um, like I, like I said at the top, like I, I knew Iceman was gay. The first thing Iceman does in X Men number one is he says like a girl. I'm not interested, and he like yes. <laughs> pieces out. Like, yeah, the '90s stuff where he's like trying desperately to come out to Gene. Um, I remember the new Defenders in the '80s, and that was. I mean, I wrote an article about it for Shelf Dust because it's just so queer. Like, he obviously gets, he has a lot of uh, anger and angst over Cloud, who is the right. character that can shift from male to female. 
And so, yeah, the whole time Iceman is just overreacting and, like, kind of losing it. And everybody else is like, dude, what is your problem right now? Yeah. And, and he's, he's like, like, inside, he's like, I'm so is. gay. My problem <laughs> yeah. is that I'm gay. I'm literally in love with Warren, you know, yeah. like, that's like, and he's, I have to, like, look at his pretty face, like, every single day. It was basically Bobby's problem at the time. But, <laughs> yeah, for sure. He He's always been, I mean, in my opinion, also, I believe that he has always been queer coded. Oh, yeah. I, even X-Men, like. I think in Not Brand Eck or like one of those uh, parody comics that Marvel creators did about themselves, Iceman is 100% kind of like parodied as being a gay character. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think <laughs> I think that even in the editorial, that was something that people were kind of like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just talked about the gene forcible coming out thing. Actually, that was that's what Emma did to him in the 90s, right? Like she went in yeah, his brain, 100%. she knew his secrets, and she kept joking about it. Like she says like, she says something about him being an interior decorator. Like mm-hmm. she she unlocks his mutant potential and then the metaphor obviously becomes and he has a secret that's keeping him from unlocking it, right? I remember right. I must have been 13 or 14 when the X-Men onslaught stuff was happening. And there's that scene of him and Jean shopping. And he's in oh purple God. pants. <laughs> and he's trying to tell her a secret. And we never find out what the secret is because yep. onslaught attacks. And it's like, I knew exactly what that secret was. Yeah, that was a really good example of their friendship, too. I always like those, too. I think we talked about that before, too, where it's just that's one of the better unseen friendships, I think, of the X-Men. And I I mean, I get it. If Jean Grey was a person in my life, I would immediately, that would be my best friend. I would insist Mm -hmm. upon (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, and like, that's another example of artists. Like, you can tell that they were trying to come make him come out there and they couldn't. The whole of um, Marjorie Lou's X-Men run it makes no sense unless you realize the problem Iceman has is he's trying to come out, right? right? And she's talked about it since. She's like, I wanted that story to be about him coming out, and they wouldn't let me. Mm. It sometimes takes, you know, it takes the power of a Brian Michael Bendis to be like, yeah. I'm doing this. 100%. Um, yeah, I think that, I don't know about you, Essie, but I liked the Iceman series a lot, too. I thought it was really fun. I there was like characterization issues with like the characters around Iceman. I felt like uh, that made me kind of distracted a lot through the series. But at the same time, that was like, it's the first time that Iceman, I mean, one of the first time that Iceman is getting the serious spotlight and definitely since he's come out. So it's nice to see a spotlight on him. And he, I mean, he's believable. He reads really well. I like him so much better after he comes out. Yeah. Which is it's what like I would say about myself. Too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. Like, I get it, Bobby. I was also a frenetic piece of shit. You know, like, yeah. I get it, buddy. But I don't like it. But, you right. know, but I get it. And yeah, I think that I, lo- I loved it. I, you know what? I'm a fucking sucker. Like, if someone's queering something, I'm like, I'm get, I'm in. I'll read I'm it. I'm in. And then when you kill them, I will fucking be furious. <laughs> if you don't kill them, you're cool. You're good. You're in my good bi- basket. <laughs> what I liked about the weird way specifically that he came out um, is that it was the younger version of him too. And it was oh, like. Oh, that's mm-hmm. so cool. <laughs> what, made it, what made it so painful. And like, this is a story you could only tell in comics, right? This right. is one of those things where it's like. Like, you could never write a novel like this because it would never work. What mm-hmm. made it such a heart-wrenching story is, like, he saw how much time he wasted. Like, it was right. standing in front of him, like, oh, my God, this kid gets to have everything mm-hmm. that I wasted. And, like, the, I mean, unfortunately, that's the, how comics work is, like, the crowns go back in the box, the kid gets sent back in time and forgets it all. Right. It's, like, one of the most ugly 
ugly solutions to a continuity problem. I hated that. Yeah, I hated that a lot. And it was because to me, it was like, you didn't have to do that. Like, we're suspending disbelief on so many different levels right now about so many different stories. Like, you did not need to, like, be like, oh, and now he goes back into the past and he has to, like, live as a straight person for a long time, even though he got to have his coming out. Like, yeah, that was a bummer for me. I was. (laughs) <laughs> bummed out but that extremely. ugliness is built into the story right like that's right. that is the tragedy of i mean bobby more than anybody right like kind of nice yeah. at least that yeah, i mean he's been around for 60 years at least he's not 60 years old when it happens you know <laughs> um, i've been True. watching doom patrol which is actually Yay. does that story where it's like oh my yes. god the time you've wasted yeah we love doom patrol we love. watched that a bunch of times Oh, I'm a big fan. I, I it was the finale didn't go where I wanted it to go, but it sounds like they're getting another series. So, um, yeah, I think but, they're doing season two. Every episode, I just tuck in and I'm like, you know what? Whatever. I don't know what's gonna <laughs> happen. I'm in. I think Danny Street is my new favorite comic book character. <gasps> oh, oh yeah, <laughs> love that character. My partner was like, I'm not. I don't want to watch your Doom Patrol thing. And I got to Danny. And I was like, come here. Sit down. <laughs> you don't need to know what the story is. Watch this. My partner's weeping. I'm weeping. I'm like, don't you love it? Don't you want to watch this with me now? <laughs> They're like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. And again, like the the meta text is doing so much work there too, right? Like, because there's no way to watch that Danny Street episode about coming out and about coming out so late without thinking about Matt Bomber, right? Yeah, and it's like, yeah. oh my god, the same. Like, it's just. I can see why he took the part. Like, there's a way where mm-hmm. you're like, why is Matt Bomber in this show? Yeah, <laughs> this show yes. clearly costs Matt $60. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love it, but it's like, uh, why? And it's like, oh, this is why he did it, because he's mm-hmm. this is the story he's thinking about. Um, and it just, like, breaks my heart in half, that episode. Oh, yes. So, like, in the, in, in, in the best way, right? Like, yeah. just, like... Help me take these crusted layers <laughs> off my heart. Yeah, we yeah. did. Someone we did a put bomb it. into my scars, please. Yeah, <laughs> we did a podcast about it, and we uh, both, I think, cried <laughs> more than once think, while we yeah, were talking. Like, I cried a couple we're times. We're just describing scenes from Doom Patrol and <laughs> that I've already seen now. I think like three times through, and I'm just like, it's just really yeah. sad. I also just love it as like, I mean, we've talked about. We talked about. Okay, we talked about. Um, the way comics are a myth because of continuity. Then we talked about the way you can have multiple continuities. What I love about Doom Patrol is it's actually like a counter version of the X-Men, right? Where Mm -hmm. it's like, what if the X-Men thought about its disability metaphor more thoroughly, right? Like, because every character thinks of themselves as um, somehow figuring into some kind of disability model in a way that the Mm -hmm. X-Men never really does. Like, even even with Xavier, it never really thinks about it. And I love the way Doom Patrol just always, always thinking about like mental disability and like physical disability and like what does it mean to have an ethic of care for each other? Um, Mm -hmm. What does it mean to actually process trauma? I I loved the show for that, for sure. Yeah. One of the things Sarah said that I I had not read, but in the the show, but then realized like the second she said it, I was like, oh my God, is Sarah reads Rita as Ace. And so what I see so much of, too, is, like, these these queer characters, these queer people 
creating a chosen family and and like the fact that they sit down and have family therapy like <laughs> <laughs> family therapy is the funniest thing i've ever seen it, it that was, was like so the funniest cute. episode and, and like, so cute and they're all like different levels of earnest and like different stake in it but like it feels like that that's how we we heal like you were saying the ethic of care for one another but also like the healing capacity of connection mm-hmm. you know like when mm-hmm. we when we are vulnerable together when you know, uh, negative man gets over how much he hates the negative spirit and is like, oh, right. Okay. This is part of me now. Right. <laughs> Just like being gay is part of me now. Yeah. Like then he becomes a more interesting person and he only can do that with his connection to Rita. Rita can only learn to connect, control her powers with her connection to, and so on and such forth. I think right. it's incredibly powerful, you know? Yeah. I, I, what I also enjoyed about it is moments I didn't enjoy. Like, <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but like, um, what I liked is how much I didn't like Jane. And it's like, it insisted upon me finding a way, like you have to push past when people are unlikable, right? Like when mm-hmm. someone, sometimes you have to know when someone needs you to hold out cause they're testing whether or not you will. Um, I love that actress. And it's like, I found oh, the God, performance yeah. sometimes so much. I was like, why? I feel like nails on a chalkboard watching someone yell this much. And it's like, oh, because that's what life is like sometimes. That's yep. what family right. is like sometimes. I've definitely been like, the person yelling too much for a very long period of time. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, they want to see if they can push you away, right? Right. I just think that it's like very complicated with her. She's definitely a character where, uh, you know, she's struggling with um, like a lot of mental illness and doesn't have the ability, I guess, like, to talk about it anymore like her therapist goes away and then it turns out her therapist is evil (laughs) kind of like niles calder is kind of a jerk so yeah i always think that that's an interesting one because i think that a lot of the ways that people interact with her is they're just like oh god you know (laughs) like don't want to bother with that at all and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy like it does for you know a lot of us whenever somebody responds to you in the same exact way again and again so i think that that was definitely the thing where it's like oh, yeah, no, Jane is the best kind of. And, you know, the the actor does so much <laughs> work. Yeah, Diane Guerrero is basically God, so. Like, uh, I was sad uh-huh. when she stopped being as central on Orange as the New Black, but in retrospect, it must have been because she was filming Doom Patrol. So right. the trade-off is worth it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it. what a show. Like, to pull off the the level of ludicrous events. Oh, yeah. And, and like holding on emotional. to all that Grant Morrison, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> how, what the fuck? How am I weeping over this robot man? Like that I hate. Oh my god! Like I hate right. him, I and I crying love him with over everything. Robot man. <laughs> yeah, I can't stop crying about Robot Man. And again, like the the meta text, right? Like it's hard. It's hard for me to watch that without thinking about Brendan Fraser's mm-hmm. own sort of stuff that he's clearly also echoing into the character. So. Which is so cool, kind of. It's just like, wow, this is, it's like, it's such a cathartic show. And I think for audiences a lot, because it puts you through it. And it's the same with the characters. It really puts them through it. But by the end, you're just like, I'm so glad I watched that. That made me (laughs) feel better about people kind of by the end of it, because it's so forgiving of everybody. 
I think that's a really good way of putting it, Sarah. You know, I, I was having a conversation with my therapist and she was like, you know, you're not broken, right? And I was like, that's some bullshit. I am deeply broken. And she was like, no, like everybody else has problems like yours, which makes me sound like an asshole who only thinks of myself. <laughs> but I've got good broken reasons. OK, people, you'll read it in my memoir one day. Um, <laughs> and I just I feel like that's so much what what Doom Patrol is about is like people who are deeply broken, healing themselves and realizing that they're accepting that there's no, there's no going back. Right. Like I think so Mm -hmm. often people are are trying to go back to the before. And I think that gets at some of the disability narrative. Like there is no going back. Like no one's going to magically come in and give robot man a body, you know, like this is, this is robot man now. And, and he even says like, I'm not a man. Right. Like that's such a cool cool part of the the narrative. And I, I, I don't know. I just, I really, I appreciate that it says like, yeah, it's okay. You can be really fucked up. It's okay. Right. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who works in um, mental health and she, she sort of toggles backwards and forwards between um, queer mental health and children's work. Mm. And she says that one of the terrible things about the way the queer community behaves is because it comes so much out of trauma, um, thinks that it has to let people hurt themselves. Mm. That it thinks that if a person is sort of um, self-actualizing through like performing their own brokenness, we should just let them. And it's like, what you have to remember is you have to promise that if someone says, I'm going to run away, that you will go find them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's sort of the risk love takes is to say like, I risk embarrassing myself. I risk you hurting me to save you. Um, and I think that is a dimension to family that is problematic in its own way, right? Like that does sort of have its own strictures and its own family does not come without problem. Right. Um, but if, if we want to talk about ourselves as being found family and like chosen family, then we do have to take seriously uh, an ethic of care. We do have to take seriously what I am willing to sacrifice to help you. Um, and it's something we're not good at thinking about. Are you trying to make me cry? Oh, <laughs> That's so good. Now we're crying like Doom Patrol. <laughs> well, it's something we're not good at, right? We tend to think of like, oh, I have to I have to be my best self and mm-hmm. you do your best self and our lanes are separate. And it's like, no, actually, there is something I owe to the other. It's something I always try to think about in my mm-hmm. work, even if it, and it, it can be very dangerous, right? It can be very scary. Like the ultimate version of it is like you start developing like crazy martyr complexes or like, you know, <laughs> right, like come right, out right, of a yeah. Christian background where it's like you give everything. You have to die on the cross for someone else. And it's like that's not correct either. <laughs> so right. like figuring out how to make these things make sense to me has always been something I don't know. Yay. All right. Well, um, Damn. you think that we, we hit all of <clears throat> the – topics i mean um, i think we hit 15 or, or 16 other ones too i mean that was a very extra conversation than i thought it was gonna be i for same i mean yeah i mean I'm my shocked. soul feels fulfilled though so oh, I, yeah. I, mean, I feel like we did what we needed to yeah um and once again it seems like we could probably continue talking for like three to seven more hours but um <laughs> i guess we should end our call um yeah. So is there anything that you need? I, we already covered the social media and you have a Patreon. Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I do like a like I said, I read. Well, we finished Paradise Lost. Now we're on Paradise Regained, which is the sequel where Satan seduces the sun. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but people can always find me on Twitter. Um, Twitter dot com slash Mia Koopa. Love it. Yay, thank you, thank so, you much. so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a like wonderful chat. I feel like 
I feel slightly healed after this. Ah, slightly yay. less lonely in the midst of this quarantine. Same. Me we too. started before the recording started. We started on a very bleak <laughs> note. But and you know, sometimes we touched on it. I think through the interview, but by the end, you know, I think it's like, like we, Doom Patrol. <laughs> yeah, like you have to acknowledge the bleakness, right? Like, there's no point mm-hmm. in. I, I think that there's ways to misread popular culture as like I hate the idea of popular culture as escapism. I always have mm-hmm. like popular culture is not escapism. It's sort of like a space you go into to work out a problem without. We talked about this earlier. Like you work on the problem and then you come back and it's like okay, I think I have a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a maybe it's like a a temporary margin, not an escape. <laughs> yes, I would agree with that. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're bitches on comics and we love you, my babies. Good evening, everyone. Pride is a great month of time. We've all been enjoying it, almost. We're almost there. And then I'm sure we will enjoy it. But what's most important is is that we have a great roster of Pride guests, and we obviously prioritize queer everything. So if you want to support us in doing that and keep the podcast going, we have a Patreon that you can subscribe to for as little as $2 or as much as as many dollars as you would like. (laughs) Infinity dollars is actually one of the options if you would like to give us that. You don't have to. Two is fine. None is fine. I mean, keep listening, you know, have a great time. But you get all kinds of extra content if you sign up for any of the tiers. So even if you only subscribe for $2, that means you get the extended episodes. You get all of this extra stuff. Sometimes I forget. (laughs) Reading lists. You get media reviews. You get comic characters histories. We tried to be drunk while doing them, but we're just such fucking nerds. It's just hell of informative. It's amazing. We have so much fun. And you know what? Sometimes we're just like, hey, want to do an extra episode? Yeah, I think I do. And then we just drop one for everybody. Come join us. It's a super fun community. We've got 25 people with us and we want you to help us make it 30, 40, a million, 4 billion, whatever works. Two or infinity. Choose one or the other, please. We're a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot. T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. 
We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.